1: I'm Hemant Mehta and
0: I'm Jessica Blumke and
1: you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. We're here today with Mike Kaplan. You know him from his appearances on Last Comic Standing and every late night talk show you could think of. He's known for his brilliant wordplay as well as his self-deprecating humor when you're a Jewish atheist vegan. uh, It's probably hard not to joke about it. His albums Vegan Mind Meld and Meat Robot are absolutely hilarious. But his latest show, Small, Dork, and Handsome, is, in my opinion, his best one yet. It's on Netflix right now, and you're going to want to watch it after we're done with this interview. So, Mike, thanks for being with us.
2: Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm fine if if people want to watch the Netflix special while they're listening to the
1: interview. To be should, honest, so oh, I'm am okay with that
0: too. Yeah. Should we like try to subtext it in and like do a commentary <laughs> without having it on?
1: We'll post both of them at the same time and then mm-hmm. let people choose.
0: It'd be like a Dark Side of the Moon thing. <laughs> It'd <be> great.
1: Yes. <laughs> it would be awesome if this podcast synced up with his Netflix special. <laughs> yeah,
2: like The Wizard of Oz and uh, that Pink Floyd album.
0: Exactly. That's it.
1: Okay. So here's this very serious question to start off with. Um, the title: sure. Small Dork and Handsome. There is no comma after the word dork so what do you have against the oxford comma uh
2: i don't have anything against it i actually there is one uh where where, whenever i write it so (laughs) i think that uh i think that somewhere along the line somebody didn't put it there but uh i learned that the comma goes there but i also learned that it is optional so i don't have a problem with people not putting it but uh when I read
0: it, it's fair. Well, somebody's really into AP style because AP style <laughs> does not like Oxford commas. It's very serious. We
1: know the secret inner workings of Netflix now. <laughs> so so why Netflix for this particular special? Was that just a really neat opportunity? Did they seek you out to do this?
2: Uh, I made the special before knowing where it was going to go with, uh, with a company called new wave. They, they've produced a lot of specials that have ended up on Netflix, but also places like comedy central and showtime and other things that I feel like Netflix is sort of eventually where everything mm-hmm. is unless it's, you know, uh, just being delivered via Louis CK's website. <laughs> and, uh, I would have been happy, I would have been happy for that to be, uh, where it ended up, but, uh, that uh there's a limited supply of things that go through that uh <laughs> mm-hmm. little filter but uh we we shopped the special and then uh the my manager and production com- the production company uh worked whatever uh magic that they do like seeing who wanted it and what would be the best deal for it and uh netflix like was the uh was the end result which i'm I'm very happy with like I like that it's there constantly uh you know it's nice to be somewhere else where maybe you know potentially there could be a bigger initial payday but uh Mm -hmm. then you know like some specials on comedy central get shown once or twice and then never again
0: like you you don't really have control over it and with netflix
2: you don't have control over it either but it's just there
0: constantly
1: but anyone can watch it whenever they want right
0: does it make a difference when you're writing your set um, if you don't know where it's going? Because I feel like if it's going to be on Comedy Central, maybe you want to tone down language, whereas Netflix, that's not as much of an issue. Does it d- Does it make it harder to write material when you don't know where it's going to go?
2: Uh, no, I never think about uh, the end result. I never think about the product, uh, or I never think about it as a product, like when I'm in the process of writing, like I, you know, Number one, there's plenty of things that they do say, like, late at night, you know, after 11 or midnight on Comedy Central, that mm-hmm. you'll be surprised that they're not even bleeping. But also, they'll either bleep everything or that they want to, or they'll just uh, put out, you know, they'll, they'll have, obviously, if it's an hour special, once it's on with commercials, that cuts it down to 42 minutes. So mm-hmm. if there's some stuff that doesn't end up in the final, you know, for broadcast cut, uh, so be it. But then the version that comes out uh, either on DVD or as a download that you know isn't as regulated, or like it's on iTunes as well, so that version can have anything in it that people wanted to. So, in general, uh, I I mean I don't I don't say tons of things that you I think can't say on some television. I mean I say words like bestiality, pedophilia, necrophilia, <laughs> but those are all uh, you know authorized children. Are allowed to hear those words.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just uh, not acting but, them
2: out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's not there's not tons of swearing in my stuff. though there are certainly uh, words that are probably uh, quote unquote uh, worse or less desirable for uh, some people. If people don't want to hear swears, they might want to not want to hear some of the content I'm putting out there. Anyway, but uh, to answer your question, no, I don't. No, my my writing is not affected by. Anything other than what I want to say and what I think is funny (laughs) and what I bring to audiences Mm -hmm. and uh, just whatever comes through that process is what comes out. Mm
1: -hmm. So this is a question I've been wanting to ask you for years now. I think on Last Comic Standing, when you were competing on that show, the judges told you at that time that based on your material, you would make a great writer for someone else. You would make a great writer for another comedian. It's a
0: shitty and thing to say. It is a kind of
1: shitty thing to say. And in the years since, you've totally ignored that advice and really made a name for yourself. And I guess my question is, you know, did you feel the same way Jessica just did? Did you see that as kind of a, no, I'm not writing for someone else. I'm doing this for me. Uh, what was that? What was your reaction to that?
2: Um, I think that, uh, I, I know what you're talking about, but I don't believe your memory of the the thing that I was told is exactly that may in be line <laughs> into the letter, or even necessarily with the spirit of what they were saying. Yeah. I was, one of the judges definitely told me that I was a really great comedy writer, which, you know, might be damning with state praise because you don't want to be necessarily just a comedy writer if you're a comedian mm-hmm. because being a comedian is being part writer and part performer. Mm-hmm. Uh, part former. That's some comedy writing I just did there for you. <laughs> Uh, and, but I don't think, they definitely didn't say or imply that I was a good writer for somebody else. I think they were saying that my material was just well written.
1: So you took and it that, as a compliment and it was a compliment.
0: And Hammond thought that uh, that guy yeah, I mean, it you. certainly
2: wasn't all of the compliments. <laughs> like, it wasn't, hey, you're an amazing writer and an amazing performer. <laughs> oh my God, why did he even say both those things separately? You're just amazing.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, like, uh, right. I would have been happy for the adjectives uh, not being as and and then not being as specific, but uh, I mean, I was happy to have nice things said about me period on a on a reality show, even if it is one that uh is was doing its best to uh showcase stand up comedy in a positive light, which I think they did they've been doing a great job of the last couple seasons, including the one that I was on so uh, I do have no complaints, and uh I also do think that like when I started out in comedy. Uh, if writing and performing are the two components, if you if you want to break it down in that sort of dichotomy uh, of stand-up, I certainly started out uh, as a much stronger writer than performer. And looking back, I know you know whatever people think of my performing now, uh, it certainly has improved. If you look at if I look back at you know sets on video or uh, listen back to audio recordings of my earlier work from uh, like 10 years ago like there were definitely jokes that I'm still proud of or that I'm like those are definitely fine jokes that I know what I'm talking about but if I looked at if I actually witnessed the performance I will cringe more at sort of the the woodenness of my movement or the haltingness or the certain things that I would say or do just physically uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people have a thing where they don't like to hear their voice or look at themselves on tape like, mm. I don't mind my voice, uh, <laughs> but I definitely, like almost at every stage of the game, I'll look back at something from even a year or a couple years ago and be like, oh, I see ways that that could be better, and I hope and think that I am better now, but it's you know, a constant process of being happy with where I am now, mm-hmm. but also, uh, you know, not, not angry at, but uh, glad that I'm not where I was a year ago, <laughs> even though I was also happy with where I was
1: sure. yeah. You've improved over time, for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Hemant and I have both... Well, I don't know if you have. I couldn't speak for you, but I have listened back to, like, these podcasts. I'm like, Jess, you're an idiot. <laughs> you should talk less. I
1: do that. I, I write, <laughs> like, multiple voice. blogs every day, and I say that about everything I've ever written. <laughs> like, oh, I wish I could have that do-over or something. But, yeah, yeah you get better absolutely. over time.
0: So, Mike, I... um just to let you know who I um do a little comedy I'm in the kind of Chicago stand-up scene a little bit so um my experience is that people tend to be a little you know certainly skew left but it's not been as like blatantly atheistic as I thought it would be like I remember talking to a guy who I he hosted my open mic and I had done something about being an atheist and I was like well you're an atheist right he's like no I'm Catholic and I was like well that's weird of you do you what do you find in like the comedy scene do you find people tend to like agree with your sort of worldview in terms of whether or not they believe in a god or do you find that it's more varied than you'd think
2: um i think that for people the people that talk about it uh are predominantly more on board more or more aligned with my way of thinking which uh, like, I also, like, I, I probably used to say more that I was, uh, an atheist as opposed to, like, I don't really define myself as such. Like, if somebody, I'd like it rather to be, you know, the beginning of a conversation uh, as opposed to just a label that people will then be able to, you know, tick off the box and be like, oh, well, then I know everything about you. do I know how it works. I know sure. what that means. And I have my preconceived notions or connotations that come along with it, uh, and obviously, labels can be useful in uh some respects, but like now, like when I, I think I was on uh the pete holmes Pete Holmes's podcast, you made it weird, and he always asks comedians about their uh, their belief in God because he came yeah. from a
0: he's very uh, spiritual more still religious upbringing yeah.
2: and uh but he, and he sort of left i think the you know the the fold of the dogmatic uh mm-hmm. church that he. Uh, came up in, but he's like, he likes to believe, he likes belief as a concept, like, he wants to, he still has that mechanism within him, and I like that. I mean, also, I feel like I get that connection with, like, the world, with, you know, love and art and music and humanity and uh, connecting with people and feeling, you know, and doing mushrooms and, you know, (laughs) having, like, legit, you know, experiences that... I re- I'm actually reading like a, a book of like quotes by the Dalai Lama right now, and there's one that I, I can't, you know, paraphrase even uh, close to what it says. But he says something about the idea of spirituality, like a lot of people thinking it as like a, a woo-hoo kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really actually mean anything. But uh, in his understanding, it was like more tangible and more connected to, you know, it's not supernatural, it's actually, like, spirituality is natural. Like, we we all do have this mechanism within us uh, that may be evolved at some point to, you know, to be that God place in your brain or that that belief system. And, you know, whether you are uh, a, you know, a hard like, atheist science person, like, you know, that's not... Like, I also... I I believe in what I experience, what I see, what I sense. Mm -hmm. Also, I what I read that other people who I trust or respect have said, like, you know, I believe scientists have done experiments that I haven't replicated myself. Uh, This is getting a little far afield from the question, but I do think, like, most of the comedians that Pete has on his podcast, which are a lot of my uh, some of my idols, some of my peers, Mm -hmm. uh, some people I don't know, but mostly, like, people that I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. And it does seem like uh, a lot of comedians that at least I'm familiar with and resonate with do skew more uh, along atheist lines or don't care lines, you know, like just sort of live and let live, like I don't know, you know, doesn't, you know, mostly I don't know, you know, the sort of the line, if there is a line between atheism and agnosticism, like it seems like, you know, in the same way that uh, there's certainly a spectrum of, say, sexuality from, you know, obviously uh, homosexual to heterosexual, with bisexual or pansexual or other things that are not just those things in the middle, uh, and you can be different components, but then sometimes there are people who, like if a gay person is coming out of the closet but isn't fully ready to fully come out, there's certainly documented cases of people saying, like, I'm bisexual, and then uh, eventually being uh, you know, fully out of the closet and be like, oh, I- I'm gay, I was just saying I was bisexual. Mm-hmm. But also, there are certainly people who are fully bisexual uh, all the time, and it shouldn't be questioned that that is the case. But I think that people use agnostic sort of as, like, the the stepping stone, the, the toe in the water of it. It's like, I don't know, because it's, it's both, like, they both mean
1: You, you don't know, want the label blackout. either way.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's and, a happy I mean, ag- agnostic sounds like a little softer. People think yeah. like, "Oh, okay, so you're not saying you know for sure that there's nothing. You just, you just don't know." And I mean, I don't think that atheism means that. But whenever you have this hard label that is also associated with like sort of the the loudest and most vocal uh, of the of the people of that group, whether it's you know atheism or feminism mm-hmm. or whatever whatever it is, those words sometimes turn people away from the reality behind even those words.
1: Even if they are, even if they would consider themselves those labels otherwise. I think even... Uh, oh yeah, t-
2: There's, there was a study I saw that said, like with feminism, like 80% of people uh, surveyed uh, said that they were not feminists, but uh, 80% of people surveyed said that they did believe in, you know, the equality Gender of quality. the yeah. genders and thought that...
1: They believe and, in the idea uh, of feminism, if not the word.
2: Right. And sometimes it is the word or the, you know, the associations people have with the word that are turned off. So I think that, you know, I think most comedians are, you know, people who reflect on uh, themselves, their lives, uh, the world around them. And so most comedians are not you know, necessarily scientists, but they're very uh, frequently rational people, mm-hmm. observational people. And these are, you know, qualities that go along with not just, say, accepting uh a dogmatic uh overlord's view uh but you know doing more free thinking and questioning and uh and so yeah, I would say that at least amongst uh my my cohorts uh there's certainly a lot of like mindedness or mm-hmm. and that like mindedness is not not to say that i'm like uh, and we're all just like preaching to each other's choirs all the time, <laughs> but that this mindedness is sort of uh you know rooted in openness to Whatever there is uh, or isn't, like, yeah. I mean, sometimes. Uh, if, but you know, if God appeared to all of us, I think we'd be like, okay, I guess so.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think Daniel Dennett actually talked about what you were saying, which is there is a belief in belief that you have a you believe that uh, the idea of religion can be a powerful idea for good or for bad. Um, I wonder if the fact that when you're an atheist, you are. Going up against religion, which is such a big and powerful force, I wonder if there's any truth to the idea that many comedians may skew in that direction because it is a lot funnier. You have a lot more material to work with when you're trying to take down something powerful Mm. as opposed to, say, you know, an evangelical Christian who's on stage who probably couldn't joke about religion in the same way. I don't know if you think there's any truth to that or not.
2: Uh, I mean, that certainly, on the face of it, resonates. There certainly are Christian comedians, and a lot of the times, it just means that they are doing clean, wholesome shows to the whole family that you could do at church in front of a right. grandmother and a baby and your <laughs> boss and whoever. But there's like a there's a an, I think a evangelical, or certainly there's a Christian comedian named Brad Stein who who I've listened to a long time ago, so I don't remember much of this, but I do remember there was one bit where he was certainly performing for. People uh, that were like-minded, like he was preaching to his choir,
1: and right.
2: uh, you know, the, just as you know, like if Bill Maher goes out, even if Bill Maher goes to Alabama, he's performing for the Bill Maher fans of Alabama, <laughs> right. and most of Bill Maher's audiences are on board with. Bill Maher, it seems unlikely that you'd pay a lot of money to go see Bill Maher uh, deride everything that you believe in.
1: <laughs> I actually uh, have heard uh, Brad Stein's comedy a little bit, and he, he goes after things like judicial activism and things like that, uh, yeah, which that, you might expect. That
2: was the exact example I was going to bring up, so maybe that maybe that's the only thing he talks about. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I remember, yeah, it was something from years ago when it was, I, I feel like we haven't heard much for, about activist judges in a while, but there was, I guess, a time when... That was a much more hot button issue that uh, that he was tackling, and uh, that's the thing. I mean, that sort of gets into obviously other like you know, there's the uh, there's the the Bible, and then there's the Constitution. And theoretically, we recognize that the Constitution is a you know a living document. We are allowed to make changes. Like the Commandments aren't in stone. The Amendments can be changed. That's literally what amend means. Right. But mm-hmm. We're always still like, but what are these old? white-only men, you know, who had <laughs> slaves think about this thing when they also thought that women shouldn't vote and more property. Like, what What do we think they thought? I'm like, well, don't we think... I mean, they didn't have... Uh, I don't know when the light bulb came around. You know, like, they didn't have <laughs> right. as much electricity or the internet or connectedness to everything else, like other ways of thinking from all over the world that we have at the tips of our fingers. Or
0: semi-automatic uh, <laughs> weapons.
2: So... Uh, But, yeah, I feel like that's the kind of thing that, I mean, if there are, I mean, today, obviously, maybe, maybe is having a field day with, like, all of the courts that are now saying, like, hey, uh, gay marriage, actually, uh, probably the right thing in uh, in 20 years and 30 years and 50 years like well I'll be like oh yeah that was kind of silly that's yeah. uh, that <laughs> I, wasn't allowed
1: I think the last time I heard of him he was appearing in the movie I could get this wrong but I think it was called a uh, a Sea for Christmas or one of those Christmas movies where the big atheists are coming to take away the nativity scenes mm-hmm. and he's one of the uh, he's a character in the movie where they're trying to take back the town for Christ or something like that that was the last time I heard of him anyway <laughs> um
2: i got <gotcha>. you so <laughs> the point is yeah, there are comedians who you can you can make any topic funny, kind of from any angle, too, depending on your audience and your your goal. Uh, like, I would, when I would listen to him, I would be like, oh, this is kind of like, I, I knew a guy who did a character, like a liberal guy who did sort of a, a right-wing, conservative, uh, kind of Christian character of a comedian. And I'm like, oh, I can listen to Brad Stein and just imagine that he's like this. But, you know, I also know that he means it. But, uh, like, the same way that when I worked at a... At a corporate bookstore, and we had rallies in the morning. I had to pretend that the guy was like doing satire, like Gilbert, to <laughs> not feel the worst about myself. But uh, I definitely, I, I think, you know, I mean, there's there's certainly comedy can be about anything. Uh, but I'm a fan of the, you know, punching up as opposed to down. Like it's uh, certainly, you know, there's a. I'm not gonna you know, name you know topics or things that there's nothing that's off limits. Like any, you know, people can make. There's anything can be made funny. Like if somebody's like, Hey, you can't well you can't joke about AIDS or cancer or the Holocaust or pedophiles or you know, there's there's people that do it brilliantly. Uh and depending on you know, even like I listened to, you know, Patrice O'Neal is a guy who I think was brilliant and I don't agree with everything that he said, and there's mm-hmm. comedians today that are alive that uh in the same spirit, you know, have like really interesting brains saying really interesting things that I'm like, Oh, I wouldn't like this thought process into like uh, a developing child's brain, but as it exists, it is a use. It paints a useful portrait of you know something that exists in the world. Like he came from a place, he came from uh, a, so- a subset of society where uh, this was his truth. And obviously, you know, different viewpoints are valuable. But uh, but yeah, I think it is to answer your question. Uh, to make a long story a different <laughs> story, but eventually the story that you asked about uh, and a little shorter. Yeah, it seems like for me certainly, uh, it, I mean, I can't really speak for anybody else because I am only myself as far as I know, except when I'm mushrooms. mushrooms, <laughs> when I am also all others, which I guess I am at all times as well because time is uh, meaningless. So uh, it's certainly... It's certainly given you a lot of things.
1: What's that? Religion's certainly given you a lot of material to work with though.
2: Uh it definitely did in the past, and I guess and I guess even my most recent special, like for if if people are just watching it, like if you've seen
0: it since mm-hmm. it came out, which is probably Well, what they're watching it
1: as they're listening to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. so they're <laughs> right. right,
0: right. They're, up the uh, so to... mm-hmm. they're up to the part about Judaism now. They're up to the part about Judaism now, so we can touch on that. Say that again? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> it's all good. Um, it's fine. So okay. actually you finish my apologies. Your it is
2: uh, it is not my desire to not hear everything that you're saying, but sometimes <laughs> it happens, and I just want to take responsibility, even <laughs> though it might be Verizon's fault.
0: No big deal. We'll call uh, Verizon, give them a talking to. <laughs> but um, well, you
2: know, I actually, I was on the phone with Verizon uh, yesterday, and they helped me resolve an issue with my uh, that I thought was a problem with my texting. Mechanism, and then while we were, I was on hold, uh, there was a, they were trying to fix it, and the guy had uh, a lot of useful things to tell to tell me about show business.
1: Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm it, sure that it, advice is always appreciated.
2: Legitimately, it was not just the sort of like, "Oh, you should try to get on the Tonight Show." It was actually a lot more specific, and if uh, and directed at the right person and the right time in their career, I'm sure it would have been very helpful. <laughs> and was uh, was a pleasure to interact with a guy while I was uh, waiting for my phone to work.
0: But, <laughs> Actually, uh, the, the best advice I've gotten about comedy was a woman ha- asked, uh, have you ever done an open mic at the Laugh Factory? And I said, oh, no, not yet. And she said, oh, my friend did an open mic at the Laugh Factory, and now he's a writer on Colbert, so you should do that. And I was like, uh, oh, oh. just
1: It's just that easy.
0: Easy peasy. What am I doing Those here talking to you? the <laughs> steps,
2: one stepping stone to the next. Uh, <laughs> but, oh, yeah, you were saying... Certainly, their religion, you know, has a huge impact on the world, and so as part of the world, it is something that I have, you know, observed and taken in, and developed thoughts on. And a lot of those thoughts have turned into jokes, and I guess they still are. Like I was gonna say, like I'm a little less. I feel like some of the jokes that I made in the past might have been uh, harsher, and I think I've always tried to direct, uh, like, make the the if, the if the joke has a target that the target isn't, you know, individual people who believe specific things that don't hurt anybody, but, you know, the kind of more like extremists whose, right. mm-hmm. you know, viewpoints and actions are aimed to do specific damage to groups of people's rights or health or uh, whatever the case may be. And similarly, you know, like, I know that I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not omnipotent. I don't know everything that exists and I wouldn't claim that I do like I would, all, I barely claim to know the things that I think I know <laughs> uh, well
1: your latest special you definitely touch on things like uh, the arguments some religious people use against gay uh, marriage marriage okay. equality things like that so that that makes sense I'm wondering what have you learned from the comedians you feel are at the top of their game right now what have you learned from them whether you're working with them or watching them Uh,
2: I guess Here's a specific thing, like, uh, I don't know if this is the kind of thing you're looking for, but I had the good fortune to, over the past several years, uh, open for Louis C.K. a few times. (laughs) And this is actually the first time I'm making this analogy that uh, Eminem is a guy who is, I think, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, rappers. And, you know, leaving aside whether, you know, he is now sort of, and has always been, you know, homophobic, or sexist, or whatever the case, uh, certainly those are valid uh, criticisms if you don't want to listen to them. But his rapping is just so technically amazing. Like, and one of the things that he does in rap is, like, he'll tell a story, and it just, it seems to me that it just, it happens to rhyme. Obviously, he, <laughs> mm-hmm. his brain is, you know, has done so much work to create that effortless seemingness, which is the same thing that some of the greatest comedians do. Like, it looks like they're just talking, whereas with rap, he's just like, it seems like he's like a magnet, you know, just shooting into the future and then drawing rhymes to him and to his story and to the narrative. And like words that you're like, of course, I know all these words. It's such a simple sentence, but never constructed like this before. How Mm -hmm. did this happen? And I feel like Louis does the same thing with sort of a... Uh, social conscience in a lot of ways, or social reasonableness either, even like they'll just say a thing that is is funny because it's it's true, but because society has become so twisted and far from reasonable on whatever issue it is, just saying the the simple truth, uh, which obviously over the course of time has been you know constructed and developed and honed, but it seems like he's just saying a real thing and then. There, there it is as humor, the same way that I think the Onion ones I saw when, you know, normally the Onion headlines are made up, not true stories. But every once in a while, like the, when Arnold Schwarzenegger became the governor of California, I think their, their headline was just, Arnold Schwarzenegger now leads world's fifth largest economy. <laughs> right. And that was just the truth and the sheer ridiculousness of it uh, made it comedy. Paula Tompkins, another favorite of mine, uh, put out uh, through I think an extra episode an extra episode of his podcast, the Up Pod Tompkins, one of my mm-hmm. favorites, uh, called I think it's called Chick Tract or Chick Tract. It's about and which it we're like all well aware with. You familiar with it? Yeah,
1: oh, yeah, if you're yeah, if you're an atheist, those are the 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 old tracks that kind of have the stereotypical view of everybody and mm-hmm. Jesus wins in the end.
2: Yeah. Uh but so the just I love like this Paul Tompkins, an amazing comedian, an amazing performer, and if you, people haven't heard uh this thing that this his piece about Chick-fil-A, it's just I mean it's the same thing. It's just him saying true things with his like what I think is the ideal, like sort of I don't wanna say right attitude, but just the the kind attitude. Uh like I think one of one of my favorite parts of it was just him, like you know, the the person, the foil, the his friend who's saying like, "Well, Chick Fil A, I mean, like it's I don't I don't really vet everyone else, all the other businesses." He's like, "But now I'm not telling you to do that. Just now that you know this, don't don't give your money to this (laughs) if you know it." Like he's like, "Ah, I don't like to get political. Oh, I don't think of this. This is a thing." He's like, "I don't think this is political." Uh, I think political is like, you know, should states have more rights? It should be bigger government, smaller government. Not, those people are an abomination. <laughs> like, that seems a little more than political to me, I think. That's my best
1: That's a good Paul F. Tompkins yeah, impression. Um,
2: <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that's the sort of thing. I mean, we're all influenced and we all take by everything that we experience, by all the, the world that we live in, by the art that we enjoy. Uh, by the entertainment that we see, uh, the some that we try to avoid. But, I mean, I think the, obviously the best comedians are just the best at being themselves, like finding what makes them the funniest, what they care about the most, uh, what engages them and what gets audiences to be engaged by them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I it's interesting because I'm both inspired to, you know, Obviously, you're, you're like, you're both the sculptor and the sculpture as a comedian, and, you know, they, you have this old thing about, uh, maybe, I don't know how old it is, but uh, when somebody asks a sculptor, like, how do you, how do you sculpt that, how do you sculpt an elephant, how do you do that? He's like, well, you just take a block of marble, and you chip away, and everything that doesn't look like an elephant, and...
1: <laughs> and that's yeah, the elements comedy, of a good joke? Like, What's that? That's the elements of a good joke, you kind of take away the stuff that doesn't work, and until it does?
2: Mm-hmm. I think, yes, but even more so on a macro level, like that's what you're chipping away the parts of, you know, yourself that are not that you don't want to be yourself or the parts of, you know, you're this more amorphous hole when you start before you, as as some people say, develop your voice or found your persona or whatever, figured out who you are on stage. You're like chipping away parts of you that won't be you, that aren't you. Uh, or parts of the world that you're like, oh, I don't want this part. I don't want to say this kind of thing. Uh, so it's figuring out who you are, and even, obviously, you are in evolving things. So it's like, a, you know, you're a living sculpture, and you're like, uh, oh, I'm not an elephant. But, uh, I mean, maybe I am. Maybe I'll eventually be an elephant. That's uh, that's how <laughs> my comedy's heading, I think.
1: Mike, <laughs> one last question for you. You told the New York Times a couple of years ago that uh, no joke is ever finished. And I wonder if uh, there is any joke of yours, or, or how often does that happen, where you rewatch one of your old albums or specials, and you're like, "Oh, I wish I could have a do-over on that one because I could have gotten an extra laugh or three." <laughs> uh,
2: well, I guess I mean I would I stand by what I said. Uh, There's certainly jokes that you know you think that you've gotten everything out of, and if I don't, like you know, I don't go back and listen to my first album very frequently, but I guess if I did listen to it all the time, I would continually find new things in it. Uh, The same way, what does happen more is, like, the Netflix special, I recorded it in April of 2013, I believe. And then, from that point on, I started, you know, I didn't immediately discard all those jokes as I would perform on the road. I would take, I would, you know, still be performing, I don't know, some new jokes that weren't in the special weren't ready to be recorded yet. So those... Uh, would eventually become the bulk of now, you know, what I'm doing now, which is all new since the special. Uh, but for a time, I was doing, you know, like my closer would probably be something that was in the special still. And so, like anything, like the same way that, you know, like language changes and keeps growing and developing and people get mad at it even though that's what how it works and people revere Latin, but only because it's dead. Like <laughs> okay. language always changes as long as people are speaking it. And we're like, oh, Latin, that's where it's at. It it stops. Like, yeah, because nobody... (laughs) It's not going to evolve. ...only used for science and religion, weirdly. (laughs) But um, the... uh, Yeah, so there was a time when, you know, eventually all my, you know, jokes sort of get frozen as I stop using them. But for a time, there's definitely, like, one of the jokes in the special that I came up with, a great line, you know, a couple weeks or a couple months after the special had already been recorded. I'm like, well, I guess... uh, Oh well, I guess that this now this line is only for the few months worth of audiences that, <laughs> that get haven't to see. seen the special. <laughs> and before I, and I mean, it was before the special hadn't even come out yet. So mm. somebody could ostensibly have seen me do that joke live, loved it, then see the special and be like, "Hey, where's that line?" I mean, I don't know if anybody's listening to my work with so keen an ear, <laughs> but uh, if if you are, if you anyone, feel free to if you want. Here's a little guessing game for you. Uh, there's a line, the line is centaur penis that, uh, belongs somewhere in the special and feel, feel, if you want to figure out where it goes, that could be a little game for people.
1: <laughs> that will be a game. We'll just start inserting it everywhere and see if it makes it even funnier.
0: Maybe we can drop it into our podcast Absolutely. the next few episodes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, Mike, uh, we don't want to take up too much of your time. So thank you so much for joining us. Have a great uh, show. It was my
2: pleasure. Thank you so much for wanting me to join you <laughs> and then allowing me to join you and, uh, for joining me.
0: Everyone's and- joined. And people can find your uh, latest special, tall, do- A small oh, dork me.
1: and handsome. God, it's on it. Netflix. Fuck. Damn it, Jessica.
0: I dropped the ball. <laughs> I'm sorry. Nobody's gonna find your special now. Don't worry.
1: We'll provide links on the on the website when Nobody this goes up. The links. <laughs> Thanks, Mike.
2: Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And uh, yeah, I have lots of things <laughs> online. If you put my name in places, I'm sure you'll find them all. Like my podcast, other albums, and whatever else I've done that I don't remember. So thank you. <laughs>
1: Bye, <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Mike. You've been listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois. The music was composed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at patreon.com slash Hemant. That's Hemant T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta.
0: And I'm Jessica Blimke. We hope you'll join us next time.